Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Biotech 2050 and BIOS podcasts. We're thrilled to collaborate to help expand the discussion of innovation in the life sciences industry. Welcome to BIOS Builders and Biotech 2050. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome Tim Liu, co-founder and CEO of Senti Biosciences, and Kanya Rajangan, Chief Medical and Development Officer of Senti, to the show. Thank you once again both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Uh, to help host today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend Alok Tai from Biotech 2050. Alok, do you want to provide a brief intro of yourself and Biotech 2050 to our guests? Sure. Biotech 2050 is a think tank focused on chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. You can check out our website at biotech2050.com. Really excited to co-host today with Chris, and I myself am not only the founder and co-host of Biotech 2050, but also the CEO and co-founder of Vibe Bio. Vibe partners with patient communities to develop novel therapeutics. And it's doing a pretty phenomenal job at it as well. Excited to what you've got going on. Maybe we can have you on a different episode. For now, Tim, let's kick things off. Can you share a brief personal introduction with us? Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and to take the time. So I'm a scientist by training. Actually, originally studied computer science at MIT, but pretty early on in my career, made a switch over into the bioengineering field. Ended up doing MD-PhD there and then joining the MIT faculty in 2010. Been working in a field called synthetic biology for close to two decades now. Really focused on the idea of trying to engineer cells to be able to sense, compute, and respond to their environments. And one of those exciting opportunities for synthetic biology is certainly to create new cell and gene therapies. So back in 2016, co-founded Senti Biosciences to really try to bring those technologies into the cell therapy and gene therapy world. And I'd love to share that in more detail with you guys today. I'm excited to hear more about it. Kanya, can you please provide a brief introduction as well? Yes, happy to. And thank you for having us with you today. So I have been with Senti for three months now. I'm an MD-PhD as well, surgeon, and my graduate work was in angiogenesis or blood vessel promotion, which is kind of the opposite of what you want to do in cancer. But for in, in I've been in the biotech industry now for about 15 plus years. Almost all of my programs have been developing drugs or products in oncology for cancer using different modalities, small molecules, more complex biologics or proteins. And for about the last five plus years, just focused on using cells for treatment and specifically cells that are allogeneic, which means that they are made from a healthy donor. So someone other than the patient, and then they're kept ready to use when patients need it. So really excited to be here with you all today. Thank you again. Awesome. Well, you know, before we get into a deep dive, Tim, I was wondering if you could give us a quick background on Senti, its founding story and how it got to its current position. Yeah, for sure. I think, as I mentioned, you know, I've been working in the synthetic biology space for quite a while, and this field itself has gone through a bit of an evolution over time. When it was first founded, you know, a lot of work went on in bacterial systems. People were sort of playing around to see how do I build a switch or a, a sensor or whatever in a living cell. But you know, over the last ten or fifteen years, especially as DNA synthesis and sequencing have become increasingly powerful as well as the simultaneous parallel track in the clinic of the first generation of CAR T-cells and AAV gene therapies opened up sort of this opportunity for people to say, you know, cell and gene therapies could be a modality for the future. However, the first generation of these products, even though they're you know, amazing in the clinic, are still only able to do a very limited set of things or target a limited set of diseases. What that allowed us to do is to start imagining what would happen if we could create cell and gene therapies of the future. 
ones that could be programmed to be more intelligent, you know, that could be designed to sense and respond in the body and essentially act almost like an autonomous medicine in the body. In order to do that, we need to be able to program these cellar gene therapies to a much greater extent to imbue them with that intelligence. And so that's really what my lab has been focused on um, at MIT for the last decade or so, along with multiple co-founders that really contributed their expertise into Senti. That includes Jim Collins, who's a faculty member at MIT, as well as Wilson Wong and Mo Khalil, who are Boston University. And so what we decided to do is actually pull together these technologies and really try to create a broad platform that could enable us to create you know, better cell and gene therapies across the spectrum. And that's essentially what led to the founding of Senti back in 2016. Thank you, Tim. And with that context, Kanya, Tim's told us a great little bit of history about Senti. We'd love to understand just briefly, where is Senti today? Especially knowing you recently joined the company and have been doing a great job in the role as CMO and Chief Development Officer for the last few months. What was it that attracted you to Senti Biosciences? Or maybe said in a different way, what makes Senti special? That's a good question. So how is Senti special? I would say in a word, the science. I have been really fortunate in my career working on products that have been, to put it simply, cutting edge. I know that's maybe an overused word, but it truly applies to what I've been doing. And as I also said, I've been working on cells as potential treatments. So if you look at the broader biotech world and those who are doing oncology, cell therapy is a small fraction. Allogeneic cell therapy is an even smaller fraction. And then if you look at what Senti is doing, which is taking a gene circuit, so essentially adding in multiple potential ways in which itself could respond depending on the environment. Now I think you're coming down to single digits, if not just one group of people doing something like this worldwide. So that's really cool. So the idea really just to elaborate a bit more on what Tim said about the gene circuits, right? So essentially what you do is if you think of what's happening with the CAR-T world, there is protein on a cancer, the CAR-T recognizes it and kills it. So that's good. But what we are doing here at Senti is adding in additional functionality in what you call smart technology. There's another protein on a healthy cell, and it also shares the same cancer protein. The gene circuit recognizes that that's healthy and doesn't initiate the killing. Then there's also release of different cytokines or growth factors, which are necessary to affect the tumor milieu. Very important when you go to solid tumors. Again, responsive to either a small molecule or the environment. So you put all of that together. You know, I just feel like I'm just so lucky to even be part of this group doing such smart technology and potentially help move it for widespread use in patients. Awesome. Your commentary sort of prompted a thought in my head, which I'd love to get your feedback on. You know, when it comes to cell therapies, one thing you, that often emerges is that they're living therapies and that they don't exactly turn off. And the pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics are very different than, say, a small molecule, which we know a little bit more about. Curious how you see that sort of at play here when you think about this modality and its potential in cancer and other diseases. Yeah, maybe I can start and then kind of feel free to jump in. I think if you look at you know, the challenge of treating cancer, and then more specifically, your question around living cells, we can sort of break down problems into a few categories. So I think one of the perennial problems, regardless of whether you're using a living cell therapy or a protein, etc, is how do you distinguish between what is a cancer cell, and what is a healthy tissue. So fundamentally, that's one of the core issues in oncology. And so to date, most of the strategies for doing this have relied on trying to identify some silver bullet target you know, that is only found on the cancer cell and not found on the healthy tissue. And there are some rare examples of those that can be very useful and powerful. 
But for the vast majority of cancers, it's actually very hard to find a clean target. Most targets are dirty in nature. And so to address that issue, we've developed you know, sensors that can detect those biomarkers and then can put those signals together into what we call logic gates. So instead of saying, you know, kill every cell that expresses target A, we can do things like kill every tumor cell that expresses target A. But if you encounter a healthy cell that happens to express what we call a protective antigen B, then stay off that cell, don't eat that cell. And so that's exactly an example of what we call a not logic gate, you know, kill A, but not B. So that's one way in which we solve one of those core challenges. I think the second bucket is how do we dramatically increase the efficacy of treatments for cancer? We know cancer finds ways of escaping from anything we throw at it. And we likely need some sort of multifactorial or multi-targeted approach to try to cut off as much as possible the escape routes for the tumor. And so we have built genetic circuits that we call multi-arming gene circuits that allow our cells to attack multiple targets at the same time and really try to reduce the overall sort of escape or relapse likelihood of these treatments. The last thing that you mentioned, which is something that's a little bit more unique to the cell therapy space is these medicines that we're using to do this are ones that are living cells. You know, they have the ability to move in the body, they can expand, and they can do things that, you know, a small molecule or a protein drug really can't. As a result, though, you know, being able to control what those cells are doing in vivo is pretty important. As you alluded to, a lot of the first generation products today don't have like a way of turning them off. And so we've also built a technology called the regulator dial that allows us to actually dial up or dial down the activity of the cells once they're in the body. And the way that works is we can basically use FDA small molecule drugs that are approved. And basically those are typically oral drugs. You know, they generate, they go into the bloodstream and then they interact with our engineered cells in a pre-programmed way so that we can use them to either turn them on or turn them off. And that's how we're trying to tackle, you know, that specific challenge that you mentioned before. And that's not only a great overview of how uh, you're bringing your cell therapies forward at Sensi, but also it provides a bit of context on the gene circuit space where, Tim, you're a strong leader in the field and have been for, I'd say, at least a decade now. So would love to take a step back maybe and ask, is there anything more we should know or we should share on gene circuits before we continue and dive deeper in the discussion? I think I gave the overall examples in the context of cancer. I think probably one of the key things that we believe is this technology is not just limited to you know, oncology. It's not just limited to the natural killer cells that we're working with. The gene circuits that we're building are very much like software. You can take them you know, and program a T cell or an NK cell, or even put them into an AAV or an IPSC. And as a result, you know, one of the reasons we started Senti was to be able to create sort of a core knowledge base that was just the world's expert at designing these for therapeutic applications. One of the things we've realized over time is like, when you run a design project for a natural killer cell, you actually learn things about what gene circuit programs work well, what don't, and that knowledge actually helps you in other areas. And so we hope to work together and we, we have been doing that with partners in areas outside of cancer to try to create cell and gene therapies in other areas. So for rare disease applications or for regenerative medicine applications or others, we think that this platform can be very powerful in other settings as well. Well, so given that gene circuits lend themselves to sort of a myriad of different applications, obviously, you know, your lab previously has done a lot of work outside the body. Curious if you can help us help direct the audience as to why CAR-NK and cancer specifically as the first in vivo or human-oriented application for the technology. Yeah, great question. Why don't I give the high-level overview and then turn over to Kanya to talk more specifically about 
NK and thoughts around oncology. Um, I think within sort of the application space here, you know, we know that genetic circuit technology is really novel. And so we want to try to demonstrate really the significant benefits that we foresee for this technology in the clinic. Oncology is an area of high emet clinical need. We believe we can show a very strong benefit for these gene circuits in the area of selecting, you know, and differentiating between dirty targets and allow us to discriminate better between cancer cells and healthy tissues. And that's a central challenge. And so there's just been a lot of pull I think for us to go into the oncology space, and we think it's a way for us to more rapidly develop our drugs and demonstrate proof of concept in the clinic. Thank you, Tim. So maybe what I'll add is just a little bit more about NK cells and potentially one of the reasons Tim and the others were interested in me joining Senti. So I've been working with NK cells previously as well. And one of their big advantages, first of all, to step back, NK cells are natural killer cells. That's their name. <laughs> the scientists have fun too sometimes. And they have inherent advantages over T cells, right? Just from its biology. And a big part of it is it lends itself very naturally to being used in an allergenic or off-the-shelf fashion without having to do gene edits, which potentially then there's the question of does it interfere with the core function of the cells like you would with the T cell. So what that means is to put simply one person's NK cells, like your NK cells can work for me and vice versa without having to do too much. So they have that inherent killer function. So adding in something like a gene circuit there, then further amplifies what you can do with that cell, localizes it to cancer and so on. And the core thing for me would be because patients with cancer can't wait, then it ends up limiting some of these autologous therapies because you have to harvest the cells from the patient do all of the engineering and manufacturing and reinfuse that takes time. So not every cancer patient would even be eligible for something like that. Whereas if you have a treatment which is more off the shelf and ready to go, that's you're really changing how and who can get these sort of therapies. And ideally, and we can dive into this a little bit further, but ideally that also increases, as you're describing, Kanya, uh, equitable access as well. Absolutely. And perhaps if I could just talk a little bit more about the other advantages of NK cells as it comes to mm -hmm. access. I mean, when you think of a product and access, there's multiple things which come into play. Cost is one. The geography of where these products can be given is another. And then the third thing, which is where I think NK cells have a big advantage, is their inherent safety profile. And if, if you look at something like the COVID vaccine, you can literally walk into a grocery store and get it, right? Now, that is access, universal access. Whereas something like the autologous parties, they have to be given in a setting where there is that specialized care, the supporting staff, maybe ICUs are required, you have to be admitted. So that inherently then restricts access to folks who are in and around major urban hospitals. So with something like an NK cell, which Again, because of its biology, when a T cell sees its target, part of what it does and does it very well is expand tremendously, pushes out a bunch of killing cytokines, which also have bystander effects, right? And that's the reason you need all of that additional care and support for those patients. Whereas an NK cells just don't do that. They're more efficient in their killing and they're quicker, but they don't expand as rapidly. They don't push out as much cytokines. So the expectation, and certainly that's what the early data has shown as well, is that NK cells are going to be safer, which means potentially use it in a community setting, use it in a place where more people can have that sort of an access, simply because you don't need all of the surrounding infrastructure to give a product like that to patients with cancer. 
that's something that I think, especially as we advance cell therapies, all of those attributes are going to be incredibly important as we try to make sure access is equitable. So thank you for highlighting a little bit further. And as we take this that step further, as you've both described, Senti's focusing on NK cells that increase access and equitability. And they also are enabling that through gene circuits to program these cell therapies so that they have localized action, dynamic sense in response, and that increased safety profile that you were talking about. And so with your initial strategy being in the CAR and K oncology space, would love to hear a little bit more about the early beginnings of Senti, maybe some of the experiments or discoveries that had to be successful for you to reach this point of being on the precipice of the clinic. Yeah, so I can probably give a bit of an overview first. Let's just take an example. One of the key differentiators for what we're doing at Senti is building logic gates into cell therapies. So instead of having a cell therapy that only targets one antigen, maybe have a cell therapy that targets two or three. This concept is one that's actually been percolating in the field for quite a long time. Even since the first academic papers in the field of SynBio came out, you know, two decades ago, they started talking about this idea that you could build therapeutics that were much more targeted. But a lot of work had to happen to really try to make that a reality in a living immune cell. Some of the first efforts to do this for my own group, as well as Wilson Wong's group and Jim Collins's group, really was centered around how do we actually design a logic gate that functions robustly, that can tell the difference between what, you know, on target versus off target. Wilson and Jim actually published a nice paper several years ago now in Cell, showing that they could proof of concept against some example antigens, engineer a T cell that could go after tumor target A, but spare anything that target B. So we early on saw that technology. We were very excited about that at Senti. What we realized is we needed to take that initial academic work and transition it into the industrial space. And to do that, there are several things. One is being able to sort of repeatedly and significantly improve the activity of those logic gates, right? So obviously something that makes it into a great journal is sort of usually an initial demonstration of a concept, but there's usually a lot of optimization you can do on top of it. So in this particular case, you know, we've been engineering the receptors that allow us to do this logic gating technology. We've tried, you know, hundreds of different variations that have different levels of performance. And basically by doing that, we've been able to create a large library that allows us to sort of pick and choose, you know, we should, for any given application, sort of the, the architecture that will give us good performance for this logic gate behavior. Number two was to adapt this to actual tumor targets of interest and We'd love to dig into that with more detail. Perhaps Connie can share more about how we've picked indications. For example, our lead program is going after AML. And so there are very specific antigens that are relevant to the treatment of AML, acute myeloid leukemia that we've, you know, customized the gene circuit to. And number three, one of the key things that, you know, typically in an academic lab, you don't really think about is manufacturability. How do you actually put all of these components together onto a single vector? How do you deliver that into your NK and manufacture it at large scale? And so that's required a very concerted effort at Senti to build up that process development and manufacturing expertise so that we can repeatedly do this and ensure that you know, we have successful outcomes. So that's been sort of the journey from you know, initial great academic work in cell from our founders to actually now being able to implement this in a real you know, setting that we think is ready to take to the clinic. Awesome. Well, you know, given the exciting early discoveries you've made at Senti, would love to maybe hear what the path to an IND is and what clinical proof of concept needs to look like. So Kanye, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So in terms of where we are currently with our programs, we've said publicly that two of our programs, Senti202, which we are looking at for AML, 
and Senti301, which is solid tumors, liver cancers, and others. Both of them, we are planning to file an IND next year. So we are at the stage where we have the preclinical proof of principle, so to speak, now. We've shown the different components work separately. We've optimized them. We've put them together and shown that the whole gene circuit works preclinically, both in vitro and in vivo. What's left now is essentially is two things. One is manufacturing to get that first GMP lot that we can use and put in patients. And then secondly, some of the additional sort of routine studies that need to be done, rightly so, before you make the jump from mouse studies to humans. So those are all ongoing. So that's really what we are focused on in the company, getting these products in with the IND, with the FDA next year. So as the platform approaches clinical proof of concept, the platform is also continuing to develop with each experiment having the potential to create a more robust cell therapy down the line. And so as we think about the underlying and enabling synthetic biology technologies that build the Senti platform more broadly, what are some of the challenges that you still have to overcome? How do you see the potential of the platform enabling future cell therapies? And Tim, for example, you were talking about going through hundreds of potential receptor candidates earlier through the optimization process. There's a form of high throughput optimization, for example, one way of taking this a step further. How do you think about expanding on what you're already doing and really bringing Senti's platform to its fullest potential? Yeah, I'd try to break down that question into a couple of parts. One is the biology of the disease. So how do we select diseases where we know what targets could make sense to go after and then adapt our approach to those diseases? So let's take AML as an example for the Senti 202 program. You know, we went through a lot of selection effort to identify what are the key AML antigens that would, from our opinion, lead to, you know, activity in vivo. We looked through a bunch of the antigens that are out there, and two of the ones that showed up were CD33 as well as FLT3. And the reason why we ended up choosing those two was because CD33 is a known antigen. There's an approved drug against it. It's well expressed on AML blasts. FLT3 is another pretty well-known target in the space that's expressed on a different population of AML cells called the leukemic stem cells. So if we engineered an NK cell that could attack both of those antigens, we believe that should increase the overall activity of the product. And so that required us to actually look deeply into the patient data to understand how the distribution of these antigens is at play and to put those two targets together. Now, the flip side of that is FLT3 and CD33 also target the healthy bone marrow. And so that's something that has come out through some clinical research, as well as from the sort of basic analysis of patient samples. So again, digging into that, we realized that one of the key populations we wanted to protect was the healthy hematopoietic stem cell. And so we then did a bunch of bioinformatics to identify a don't eat me signal or a protective antigen that's on the hematopoietic stem cell, but not on the cancer cell. So that serves as your do not eat me signal. So again, that whole process does require a lot of biology and insights from clinicians as well as drug developers to say, this is the problem we're trying to solve. So number one, identify the problem. The second part is then we have to customize and adapt our gene circuits to that. Um, you know, anytime you want to target a specific antigen, you need a binder that binds to that target. Every binder has its own sort of specific characteristics. And so there's tweaking you need to do to the receptors to make that perform optimally. Fortunately, we have built a very powerful design build test learn engine that allows us to crank through and test many different configurations to try to arrive at a more optimal construct. So I think the opportunity we see, but also the work that we need to do ahead of us is taking, you know, these gene circuits and now applying them to other oncology indications 
we need to go through that biology workflow to try to identify what are the key unmet needs and the biology that we should target underneath. And then adapting, you know, the specific designs to those contexts just requires a sort of a process that we go through. Awesome. You know, maybe switching gears slightly here, as we start to learn a lot about the exciting science that you've developed along with the promising path to the clinic, along with the potential to use this technology, not just for AML, but a myriad of different oncology-related indications, it begs the question how one thinks about financing and the business side of this endeavor. First off, congratulations on going public. It's a great achievement as an organization and an interim milestone, I'm sure. But the public markets and the private markets separately have had a lot of volatility and have sort of shied away from higher risk type projects, including the broader biotech sector. Curious how you see the funding landscape as a publicly traded company evolving and what that portends for your strategy and decision-making around prioritization. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, being in the field at Senti and also being involved in some other companies in the past, you know, the biotech market has many ups and downs, (laughs) especially over the lifetime of a company. I think what we discuss internally and certainly believe very much is the technologies we're trying to bring to the table here. If we're able to show benefit for patients, that's the long-term success, both for the treatment of disease, but you know, I think it'll represent a good outcome for all of our employees, our founders, our, our investors, importantly. So I think for us, it's really keeping the eye on the ball on execution and trying to drive forward the key priorities. I think for Senti specifically, you know, we have cash in the bank and fortunate enough to raise that money to support a lot of the future development. And it's really all hands on deck to try to get these programs into the clinic as soon as possible and to demonstrate clinical benefit for patients. So I think in these types of markets, it just allows us to even focus more and to make sure everyone sort of keeps their eye on the ball and is focused on sort of those core priorities. And continuing on that financing and strategic trend, we're talking about the potential Senti has as a platform. And with many platform companies today, we're seeing as much innovation on the business side as on the science side. And so at times, uh, that innovation can be almost ahead of the market, with Senti being one of the platforms leading the charge in symbio-driven cell therapies. We'd love to hear your thoughts on partnerships and generally how that enables your go-to-market strategy. Yeah, it's a great point. I think you know, platform, as we're developing it here at Senti, is really enabling our own programs, but actually there's a ton of learning from there and even sort of directly some constructs that come out of that design process that we think can port over to other areas. And so the way we've approached this thus far is in areas outside of oncology, we've chosen to work with some of the the best companies out there that are innovating in orthogonal disease areas. So we have a collaboration with Spark, another one with Blue Rock, uh, really focused around either AAV or IPSC engineering. So in these collaborations, the way we've structured them is Senti is designing essentially the genetic circuits that will go into those programs. And then the partner is really the expert in terms of manufacturing and bringing these into the clinic. I think the ecosystem for cell and gene therapy is nascent, but it's definitely growing and expanding just given the excitement and all these new modalities. And so for areas outside of oncology, sort of use this model of, you know, Senti is the software provider. Our partners are essentially the hardware companies, and we're going to work closely together to optimize the product for patients. And those will be taken forward by the partners. That all honestly makes a lot of sense. And I know we're with this question taking it in a very different direction, but a point I don't think we've covered yet, and I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on how do you think about, especially in the car and K space and in the cell therapy space more broadly, uh, redosing and the potential challenges around 
working with in the oncology space, uh, <laughs> making sure patients are uh, both have access, but also are, are safe to redose. So here's where I think NK cells, again, have that advantage. So one of the things with allergenic cell therapies, because by nature, they come from another person, they are susceptible. And indeed, that's sometimes a feature, not a bug, of getting cleared as the host immune system recovers, right? So when these cells are administered, you lymphodeplete the patient to condition the patients and the environment to be receptive to these cells. They go in, they do their job, and then they get cleared. But at the same time, one of the things to ensure that the NK cells can go in, I mean, I spoke a little while ago about how NK cells, unlike T cells, don't proliferate tremendously. So that makes it safer. But the flip side of that is you need to then do the repeat dosing. It's almost something that you need to do for the NK cells. And the biology permits you to do it because it's safe, safer, I should say, compared to the T. So what that means is that to be successful, really, for something which is an allergenic cell therapy in and of itself, which has a limited lifespan in the patient's body, just because at some point the patient's immune system is going to come back and clear it. That multi-dosing and those multiple cycles are sort of key to increase the effector to target cells, go in and clear as deep as possible the cancer in the patient's body. So that's a really important point. This is unlike the autologous T cells. These are not going to be one and done therapies. Their half-life is going to be closer to a biologic or a protein, wherein they're there for a few weeks and then they get cleared as the host immune system comes back. That multiple dosing and the multi-cycle is really quite key to achieving the depth of response you hope to achieve. Awesome. You know, you've been fairly far down the road now with having some really promising development candidates nominated. Curious so far, you know, if you could comment on what your most proudest accomplishment has been for Senti to date. Yeah, I think the thing that we're very proud of here is being able to actually create real product candidates that we think have a great chance of demonstrating activity in the clinic. You know, when we first started the company, a lot of this was still very academic work and, you know, a thought in our mind. And now making it into a reality, you know, finding that there are good clinical indications that people are excited about where this technology could be at play, I think is a huge accomplishment for the company. So, you know, much kudos to all the folks who have contributed with Incenti to that. It's a team effort for sure. Um, we have many, you know, really talented scientists with Incenti as well as all the people who support them to actually push these programs forward. And it's going to continue to be a team effort to get these through the clinic. And would love to, as we actually talk about the team, hear a little bit more about the culture you've built at Centi. One of the most important components, I think, of any company and any startup, and I'm sure all of us would agree, are the people. And how do you bring together people often acting interdisciplinary from different disciplines together to form a really strong interdisciplinary team? Would love to hear both of your thoughts on having been involved with multiple companies at this point, brought different products to the clinic, Kanya. How do you think about building the teams and building a culture with intentionality to enable that success? So the key word is what you said there, Chris, which is that intentionality. Inherent to these sort of companies is really rapid growth and multiple transition points, whether you're going from private to public, whether you're going from preclinical to clinical, whether you go from clinical to commercial, there is this constant change and it happens very rapidly as well. So even in the three months that I've been here with Santi, you know, I'm just so impressed by just the people focus that Tim, we have a head of people and others across the company just have that of bringing people along, being transparent about the transitions, 
And really, it's that intentionality, I think, is key to being able to retain this terrifically smart group of people and add in new people with new skills that you would need as the company continues to evolve. And Tim, want to make sure as the founder, anything you want to add about how you set up Senti there? Well, I think Kanye's points are really great. I think the the other thing that uh, sort of builds upon what she mentioned was just making sure that people who come here are really bought into that vision and idea, because we know that this is going to be a long-term effort to really try to see the full potential of gene circuits into the therapeutic space. So, you know, people who come here are really excited and jazzed about that idea and, and are willing to you know, go through the hard work, the ups and downs that it's going to take to make it there, because I think we're all aligned on something bigger than us. So that's, I think, at, at the core of what we're trying to do here at Senti. Oh, and I really appreciate both of you sharing your thoughts. I think before we come to a close, maybe a few rapid fire questions just to cap things off. So first and foremost, Tim, let's fast forward 20 years. What are your predictions for cell and gene therapy? Maybe what are some of the challenges we've addressed? Where are we going now? What diseases do we still need to treat? What have we treated? Well, like I think this is just like the beginning of the antibody space. You know, we have a few products that are approved now, a lot of problems to solve. You know, how do we make these therapies more accessible, easier to manufacture? And frankly, how do we bring these therapies to relevance for a much wider range of diseases? So our belief here at Senti is that's going to require, you know, a lot of advances in sort of the underlying genetic engineering. And that's really what we're focused on. I think hopefully 20, 30 years from now, we'll have many, many drugs now approved, and we can really make a serious dent in oncology with these therapeutics. And we'll start seeing approved products also in areas outside of oncology where, you know, the trials may take longer, it may be more difficult, we need to show a much wider sort of differential with the product characteristics. But I think those are all within the scope of, of what's possible. You know, if we take a step back, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, sort of gene editing in the space, you know, everyone knows about CRISPR, CRISPR is like making small edits to the genome of DNA that's already there. And really what we're trying to do with the gene circuit technology is introduce fundamentally new programs. So I see these two technology platforms really as quite complementary with each other. And just as CRISPR is a little bit ahead of us in terms of making impacts in the clinic, we think that, you know, sort of the gene circuits and the synthetic biology will soon um, also demonstrate, you know, activity in the clinic and see broad applications. And speaking of that activity, Kanya, let's say we're still 20 years ahead. Where is Senti going to be? Yeah, so maybe I'll look back a bit to look forward. Of all the different things that I've done, one of the things that I'm quite proud of or playing a small, small part of is really the treatment for multiple myeloma. In my adult working life, so that's a type of blood cancer. In my adult working life, I have seen it go from a disease which had pretty much like a near-death sentence with thalidomide. You know, that thalidomide, the one which causes fetal abnormalities being the one novel drug to now dozens of really novel drugs and so much so that you can almost say without blushing that myeloma perhaps is a chronic disease. And I played a small part with getting one of those dozens of drugs approved. What I hope to see in 20 years from now is with technologies like gene circuit and Tim mentioned CRISPR as well, and all of the great advancements scientists are making, that that sort of a changing a deadly disease to something that's more chronic and can be controlled happens and is replicated at, in larger scale. We are hoping to, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of advancement in another really terrible malignancy, AML. So we are hoping that, you know, bit by bit, companies like us come in and just move the field forward 
So at the end of the day, a lot of these cancers and other diseases, they end up being more chronic. So that's really what I'm hoping we see in the next 20 years. That's a great vision I think we're all excited for. And to continue and do as you did, Kanye, and maybe take a step back and think about that for a moment. Do you have any advice being foundational leaders of really phenomenal biotech companies today? Do you have any advice for your younger selves or for those who are earlier in their careers, maybe young bio, tech bio, life science, healthcare entrepreneurs? Kanye, would you like to start? Sure, happy to. I would say just keep an open mind. I'm working now on something which didn't exist as a field of science when I was in school, right? So progress is being made even more rapidly now. So just embrace it, have fun embracing it, and then let the side of, sort of the science, the data take you. Well said. Tim? Well, I think for me, I think it's been pretty exciting to see how advancements in technology have really started to impact healthcare. And I think things that we thought would never have been possible, you know, rapid COVID vaccines in a very short period of time, you know, cellular gene therapies that can really act as long lasting cures, you know, much deeper insight into the genetic basis of disease. A lot of these have come about because of sort of fundamental advancements in our ability to understand biology and manipulate biology. And if you think sort of over a 30, 50 year time period, I think we're right in the beginning of that. A lot of this is driven by sort of fundamental improvements in computation, improvements in high throughput technologies, DNA sequencing, DNA synthesis. So I think for folks who are entering to the biotech space today, I think the future is very, very promising. It's going to be hard to imagine even what the future of treatment is going to be like 30 to 50 years from now. I think we're on a trajectory that, you know, I would personally analogize to the early days of the semiconductor industry when mm -hmm. who knew what we could do with the first transistor and see what we've been able to do today. So as long as we sort of focus our attention on how to sort of use these technologies in beneficial ways, I think the future is actually quite promising out there for healthcare in general. Couldn't have put it better. And we've talked a lot today about the professional. We've talked a lot about Senti. Before we close, would love maybe to ask something personal and just get to hear a little bit more about each of you and what do you uh, like to do for fun outside of work? Tim, do you want to take this one first? I used to have a dream that I would be a much better tennis player than I am now, but I've been trying to get back into it as I get older and so try to keep myself in shape. So that's my one uh, sort of amateur thing I do outside of work. Kanye? For me, I mean, back in college, at, at one point, I was part of an amateur theater group. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've done that. Unlike Tim, though, I have not gone back into anything like that at all. But what I do more is reading and hikes. I, I'm fortunate to live in a place where most times of the year, the weather is nice that you can go out and walk. So, so that's what I do. Great hobbies, both. I mean, I know I love reading. and I'm definitely going to contact you later about book recommendations. But <laughs> for now, uh, any other closing thoughts, shameless plugs, things you'd like to share with the audience? Tim, Kanye, hello. Oh, thank you so much for the time. I think we're at Senti super excited about the opportunity for Gene Circuits. We're always looking for bright people who believe in that vision. So certainly reach out if any of your audience members are, are interested in what we're doing here at Senti. And uh, just the last thing I'll just say is, you know, congratulations to you guys on putting together uh, a great podcast. And hopefully this is helpful to the community. Thank you so much. Thank you both. It's only through the willingness of guests such as yourselves to really share your story and put yourselves out there. We can keep the bioinnovation ecosystem growing and learning. So thank you both for an absolutely fantastic episode. Alok, thank you for co-hosting. We're very grateful for everyone's time. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, guys.